Welcome to Didache, where we are studying to show ourselves approved, rightly dividing the word of truth so we can worship God in spirit and truth, deepening our knowledge of God, thereby enabling us to deepen our love for God. Here is your host, Justin Peters. Welcome to the program, ladies and gentlemen. I hope that this finds you and yours doing well, and I want to thank you for joining me. I'm sorry that this uh, series with Mike Miller has been a bit disjointed. Uh, it's been hard to get our uh, schedules coordinated, and so uh, we, we I aired the first few programs and then went back to the perfections of God, and so now we are returning. I want to uh, finish our conversation with Mike Miller as Mike and I just tell you a little bit about some of the things that we experienced on our trip to Uganda, uh, some of the things that we saw God do. Uh, just uh, all of all of my international trips are special and meaningful and memorable in their own way. And I, I don't say that uh, to be trite. They truly are. I've got a, another international trip coming up here shortly, and I'm looking forward to that. But but I, I tell you, the trip to Uganda was something special. It really was. It was a, a very um, very unique trip. And, and the trip, I guess, that uh, God allowed um, Mike and I to see probably the most dramatic uh, fruit and immediate fruit. Uh, and uh, God was very gracious in that. So... Uh, Mike, right before we came on air, we were <laughs> we were talking about some of the more lighthearted stuff of our trips. You know, so many you know amusing, funny things happened. But uh, tell us about the <laughs> tell us about the you know when we when we showed up in a village, you and I were like rock stars. I mean, you know they they hadn't seen a lot of pale faces, I suppose, in in the middle <laughs> of Uganda, and and, uh, and uh, they just they when we pulled up in the car they flocked around us just uh tell us a little bit about the the kids and your meat sticks oh sure yeah and, you know, it, was, it was it was great it's kind of like uh, you know michael jackson showing up in tokyo with tito um <laughs> you know they seen us coming and they were just you know yelling mazungu mazungu and and the kids would just follow me around all over the all over the place you know because i was this giant huge fat white american and um i to uh, maintain my big Americanness, I had brought along some of these Jack Links uh, beef jerky meat sticks. My wife had graciously put in the bag for me, and so of course they they all wanted to eat some of that. And so I was sharing it with them, and they were just you know thronging me, grabbing this meat sticks out of my hand. And this one little kid starts yelling, "America's hot! America's hot!" And uh, I was like, "Oh, what happened?" And then I realized that I had given him the habanero peppercorn or some flavored meat stick, and I pretty much ruined his day. But he still ate it, so I know he must have been hungry. But uh, you know, things like that, and then, uh, you know, I made a paper airplane for him, and you, you would have thought I was shooting bolts of lightning out of my hand, you know, throwing that little paper airplane around. Um, it, it was it was interesting to have the the difference in culture. Rather than being a hindrance, there was, there was a, a real instant um, affinity with that, that church in that village. That, that was my experience. And while you were preaching that morning in the Chibuku village, I went over to the local, um, it's kind of a high school, middle school, uh-huh. and preached to the, you know, 15 or so students that were over there. We went to the art and the attributes of God, and, and, you know, they really listened. There was a, there was, there was a lot of engagement. Uh, even though, 
uh, we had nothing physically in common, nothing culturally in common, language wasn't in common. Um, you could just see that you know, the grace of God was, was there. Um, so it was me, but that was, that was a, I felt bad for that little kid, but, um, you know, note to self when you travel to foreign countries with strange American food, you know, you know take the peppercorns out. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those little kids were, were cute. And then, I mean, they're just so excited and just, uh, yeah, it was, it was like, uh, yeah, celebrities, even though they had no idea who we were, <laughs> but it was, uh, it was sweet. So, yeah, uh, um, Mike, in our last program, kind of where we left off, we were talking about how, when we got to Uganda, of course, Pastor Bill invited us over and and uh no doubt Pastor Bill's brother clearly uh clearly was and one of the few doctrinally sound pastors uh that at least that we were aware of uh in Uganda and uh but when we got there he he probably he wasn't where you and I would be in our in our theology on God's sovereignty and salvation and even in the um uh, continuance or lack thereof of the apostolic gifts like tongues interpretation of tongues healing and uh, so when when we got there, he was more. I don't know that he would have called himself a full blown Arminian, but he was he was certainly more Arminian in his theology than than you or I. And uh, he was Pentecostal, but then kind of where we left off um, at the end, he he said, "I don't I don't know what I am now. I, I don't know if I'm I don't know if I'm Pentecostal." But he um, now uh, Bill is much more reformed in his soteriology and his doctrine of salvation and he is a cessationist is that correct that, that's that's correct i mean that's my understanding and, and you know um as, as god does he you know continues to to refine and conform you know his people to to the image of the son and then part of that is theological and um none of none of us as christians are you know have a monopoly on, on perfect theology right um there's a growth process i mean there's certain doctrines one has to understand and believe to be Christian other doctrines come later and so with Bill he would never have he would never have defined himself as Arminian but that part of his theology wasn't well refined just like at one point in my in my life my that part of my theology wasn't refined and um, if you remember what really struck him in the series of meetings we had was you know the that the power of God's word you know confronting some of the practices that nobody there had really ever questioned much um, and he was persuaded because he saw it in the text. And, of course, not everybody that was was persuaded that saw things in the text that they didn't agree with. Um, but one thing that we did, as a, if you remember, as a follow-up, is, you know, we, we we sent him later some, you know, some theological materials from Master Seminary, and I sent him a few other books, and I had done that before in the past, and he's actually got a pretty, pretty nice library now. And um, if you remember... Um, uh, Paul Washer from Hard Cry Missionary Society, he had given me those two points of, of uh, recommendation. One was, you know, go to Africa, figure out what's happening there. And the second one was, you know, get Bill in contact with Conrad Mbibwe, the preacher down in Zambia. Uh-huh. And Conrad uh, works with Hard Cry on their African uh, church planning uh, activity. And um, so I, I did, and they, they kind of spoke a little bit, and um, it seemed like a good idea a number of months after that trip that we would try to, you know, what if we sent Bill to that Zambian conference? And, and what happens in Zambia every year is Conrad has, you know, a, 
a bunch of pastors from, from churches down in that area of Africa, South Africa, elsewhere in Africa that they have, um, you know, either planted or they, they work with in planting new churches in different areas, come together and they go through, you know, like a, a fairly significant course of, of discussions on, on theology. And a lot of these folks have known each other for a long time. So we, uh, we got Bill a plane ticket. We sent him down to, to Zambia. And um, they, there was nobody else there from Uganda, ever. <laughs> Uganda was the black hole of, of uh, Christian theology for these uh, more conservative, reform uh, Baptist people. That um, he, he was the first pastor from Uganda to go to this conference. As far as, yeah, as far as anybody could remember. Wow. Uh, at least that's my recollection from Bill. And so they were... And, and they kept, Bill, during that conference, they'd asked him to share um, his convictions on, you know, what he believed about, you know, not just the prosperity gospel stuff, but but more precisely about his other doctrines, you know. How he came to some of the convictions about, you know, sola scriptura, you know, the idea that you know, Scripture is the authority, and uh, also that Scripture is, you know, uh, sufficient to do God's work in the, within the church. And, um, you know, Bill shared with them a, his you know, compelling testimony, how all the things that we just talked about, how God had, you know, put people together. He had orchestrated this uh, seminar, working through his people, and, and Bill had become more and more persuaded over various doctrines. And so um, it was very compelling for them because what didn't happen there, it wasn't as though, you know, Bill was you know, sent to some... American seminary somewhere and, and learned these doctrines from, from some seminary. He, he, he saw them in Scripture as God put him in contact with, with other believers. And, and seeing them in Scripture, he became persuaded. Yeah. And so that was very compelling for them. And then him and Connor became close friends. And uh, eventually, um, uh, in the process of that, uh, the Heart Cry Missionary Society adopted Bill's church uh, formally as their, you know, as a church plant that they're going to support uh, there in Africa. And keep in mind that when Bill and his wife first moved to to uh, Uganda, they, I mean, they were literally pretty much refugees. You know, Bill was fleeing Islam, he had nothing. You know, he was sleeping, at one point he was sleeping in the back of a church somewhere, with no job, no prospects, um, you know, and, and later he finally gets you know, hired by these American missionaries, and he has to confront them over their heresy, and they fire him, and he's on the street with his pregnant wife. Mm. Then finally he gets a job teaching, you know, French and English at the little Catholic school, and because of his um, his Christian beliefs, the, the Catholics have referred to Christians as born-agains. You know, because he was a born-agains, um, they persecuted him, you know, tried to stop him from meeting there for the church. They threatened to fire him, and kicked him out from the from the little apartment that they gave him as part of his, you know, sixty dollar a month salary to the to the outdoor field and they canceled him from meeting in the field. And then finally when when he presented the gospel to a bunch of the students there in a video series, you know, they, they did outright firing. And uh, he was left uh, you know destitute. There's no in Uganda there's no there's no social safety net like there is in a Western country. Right. You know, if you're if you're broke and you're 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 on your own unless you've got friends or family. And so, yeah. at one point, Bill and Priscilla, they're like, you know, what do we do? We have, we're, we're jobless. 
um, we're prospectless, we're broke, you know, do we just go back to Congo and try to start over? And um, yeah. we encourage them to, to, to stick it out and to we help them along. And then Hard Cry gets, um, they hear about, you know, Bill's testimony, only his salvation, but also how God had, had, uh, had brought him to and refined his doctrine. And so they adopted him as a, as a church plant there. And that changed um, a lot of things for them in terms of, you know, the, their support. So they, it used to be, you know, Bill and Priscilla, remember that church building they had, that little brick building structure that they met in? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so to describe it for yeah. the listeners, you know, you have this, <laughs> uh, and they built it literally themselves. You know, like in Africa, you buy bricks, you, you put them on the back of a motorcycle taxi, you know, a boat to boat, and you just, you know, glue them together as best you can. There's no building codes or, you know, framing or... <laughs> Solid wall brick structure, right. not exactly safe, but you know adequate for Africa, and um, you know th- that that's where that what they had, and it was right next door to that Catholic school, and so Hardcry said, you know, let's do a church plant, get get downtown, public, you know, as a as a Christian church, and um, you know, at that point, uh, they got Bill a different place to live. Um, they got on transportation because, you know, in Africa with Bill and them, when they got around, basically, unless Hubert was there to drive them, you know, their friend who charged them, um, you know, you're, you're, you're getting on the back of a motorcycle taxi cab, and that's how you get around Kampala. Yeah. You know, so for a big family in a church, it's kind of hard to get around. So Right. Yeah, li- literally, I mean, you could only, these, uh, I know, you and I know what we're talking about because we, we saw it, but a boat, a boat is a, a literally a little... Little bitty motorcycle and and one like at the like a dirt bike, yeah, like a dirt. Bike. Yeah. It's, like like a a dirt... Honda, it's not like a Honda Goldwing. I mean, yeah. and, and what was amazing <laughs> is you get a family of four. <laughs> there's a taxi cab driver and there's a little kid wedged between him and dad, and then there's a little kid wedged between you know him and mom, and then maybe you have another kid hanging off the back of mom, holding onto her shirt. Right. You know, they they get by with with a lot less, but it hindered them because when they moved downtown. Um, there were still Christians at that Catholic school that were genuine born-again Christians that, what were they going to do? They couldn't possibly travel downtown to meet at the new church location. So Bill did both. He would go, he'd get up early in the morning, he'd take a motorcycle taxi, he'd go to the, the little brick building where we were at, he'd, he'd have church there with the Catholic students, then he would leave, he'd hurry across town, motorcycle taxi cab again, and, and getting around Kampala is not easy. No. It's not like you getting on the L or something. I mean, your traffic is total chaos. And, and then it, they would meet again. And church in Africa is not like church in America where it's, you know, um, you meet, the guy preaches for 40 minutes, you sing some songs, you know, and you wrap it up and then you're done and you meet that evening. It's it's an all-day, um, all-day sort of process. Right. Africans start showing up early in the morning and you're there all day. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was difficult, and we thought there's no way we could ever get a vehicle for Bill's church. I mean, we could barely, you know, we had enough time just getting Bibles in Lagunda, Africa. But you know, God found a way, and He got a vehicle, and that changed. It allowed them now to run both campuses and work on the third one, and they found other Christians in Kampala that nobody knew about that were that were biblical, and so mm. they've been able to coordinate with them. And so now you've got several, you know, biblically solid expositional preaching, reform 
churches that hold to, you know, hold to sound Christian doctrine in a place that before the you know there was there's very little light, and um, of course the the existing churches that are there, um, not being called churches, they're, they're pretty hostile to Bill. They're very hostile to Bill and to the other churches that are that are uh, with them because they don't follow their the prosperity doctrine and the witchcraft. Uh, and I call it witchcraft. I don't mean that in, in jest. I mean literally um, occultic practices within some of those churches that those people engage in. Yeah, they, they don't follow that. So they you know it's like a multicolored bird and a bunch of blackbirds. Bill and his and the genuine Christians there they they stick out. Yeah, and that's. I suppose we ex- expect it in any country. Right. But what is amazing about the whole thing is that, you know, God orchestrated the, the, this, this whole thing working through his people in a way that there's no other explanation for it. Right. You know, right. who, who would have thought that, you know, some Muslim kid from Congo would be converted, one, because it seems to me that a lot of Christians don't believe Muslims can be converted by the gospel name. You yeah, and, like, why, why even bother? I'm like, you know, and you, you bring that up, Mike. Uh, it just it yeah. just jogs my it, it it spurs my thinking on something. Bill, okay, Bill is born and reared in the Congo as a Muslim, and yeah. and he he hears the gospel is converted. So so Jesus didn't show up to Bill in a dream or a vision. No, because no, you no, you no. hear these stories, right? You hear these yeah, stories you hear of Muslims. Time on the TV, and then it's you know, um, and, I, and you know. I ask a person from a foreign country, how did you come to Christ? And they'll say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit floated through my room in the form of a glowing orb. You know, <laughs> it has to be some sort of miraculous um, event. And, and that's not what happened at all. You know, he heard the gospel. He wrangled with the gospel. You know, he, he you know, he, he came to conviction. I mean, there were, you know, God intervened supernaturally in those things, but there wasn't like a manifestation of Christ walking in front of him or or, as you, or some dead relative talking to him about Christ. Right. You hear those stories on TBN all the time, and there's a real sense in modern, you can call it Christianity, um, that the gospel's not sufficient to save certain people. Yeah. You know, certain people have to get saved by some extra biblical activity somebody right. has to go die and go to hell and come back and relate a big fanciful story or the gospel has no power that's not the truth at all yeah that's so, right that's right you know, and so something that would could never have been planned by man or expected by man even even by a lot of christians would not expect it god just does it just does it yeah. he does it with nobody's yeah <laughs> right he, he does and and uh you know, when you and I are there, I think I mentioned in an earlier program, we didn't go and we didn't we didn't tell any funny stories, we didn't tell any jokes, we didn't we didn't bring out puppets or do skits or you know, uh we just preached. That's all. We just we just brought the truth, taught God's word, expounded upon it and 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 God did what only he can do. That's right. We didn't entertain anybody. Um it's just the power of God's word. It, it is just the power, of, and, and so you know we we see things like this, like this, uh, Mike, and what what you and I saw in, in Uganda, and the dramatic. I mean, like you said, you go from a a kid who's raised in the in the Congo in a, in a as raised as a Muslim gets converted, 
starts pastoring a church. You and I come, bring the truth, uh, and and now now there are several doctrinally sound just within the space of what four years ago. It was four right. four years ago, almost exactly that we were there, and just uh, you know that is something that only God can do. And, that's uh, right. And and what's what I think is even uh, is in addition to that, that's true is that God does that all the time. It's just not you know Christianity Today magazine doesn't know about it. Right. You know, it's not always published on the internet. Right. And um, and it, and it didn't. God uses talented, you know, well-trained uh, people. He does all the time. I mean, a lot of fine preachers out there that are highly trained and very smart, but he also uses other people. Yeah. Nobody. Okay. I mean, I, you know, it, when we went to Uganda, it's not like we went in a high-financed missionary endeavor. <laughs> right. With a team of and, and, if you, and what was amazing, remember, we ran into those missionaries and, and we went to Jinja. Yeah. Remember the missionary pulling camp? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, and, and, you know, nice enough folks, but they had been there. They had their tents. They were doing the medical thing. They were pulling teeth. They're all, you know, professing believers that we ran into. And they had not at all yet shared the gospel with anybody. Yeah. And I was talking to them, and they had spent tens of thousands of dollars. They had a whole team come there. And for the most part, just pulling teeth. And then they were even having the Africans pull the teeth. They were just kind of like telling which African to pull which tooth. And there was one lady and her husband, if you remember that one, that had a heart for uh, sharing the gospel. And, th- and we had come in contact with them, uh, and they had wanted to to, uh, to, to, to go witnessing with us. Uh-huh. Right. If you remember, we did that. We went out yep. and we spent the day in Jinja, you know, just on the street. Yeah, passing out tracks. I, I found it to be a little bit... It was a little bit sad that how much effort was spent to get Christians over to Africa to pull teeth, which, you know, nothing against pulling teeth that are rotten, but that's not the purpose of the church. That's right. Yeah. Nothing wrong. Right. Nothing wrong with doing it. If you're going to do it in conjunction with evangelizing them, sharing the gospel, I mean, that's got to be first and foremost. and. You know, and then you can do these other things as a, a supplement to that, but uh, but not not a replacement. I mean, what good does it do if if you fix someone's cavity, but they die and go to hell? You know? It's band-aids on a bullet wound, right? And um, and when we went, there was no, you know, it, the people that came, they came from far distances just to hear preaching, and and it's not as though. You know, they were paid to come or something. I mean, some of the folks that came, like Isaac, I don't know if you remember him, a young man, and a few of the other guys. I mean, they yeah. they, they spent days just to get there and to yeah. find the place. Right, right. You've got professing Christians here that, I mean, if the, if the power goes out in the church, forget it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do anything. Yeah, the not meeting. latte machines not on the program. fritz. No, nope, I'm not going to, yeah. <laughs> Get I mean, that. We're not going to do anything because you know the, right. the water fountain broke or something, or the toilets are not cleaning up. And those people, I mean, you know, they they go through you know a lot of effort just to come and hear preaching. And I, but I did think it was a little bit illustrative of how you could spend a lot of time and effort and money to do a lot of things in the name of Christ, and then miss the main point right. of what we're to do. 
And I remember coming back after that trip, sitting there with a, a colleague of mine as an accountant. And he's like, oh, so what, what were you guys doing over there in Africa? And I said, well, we were preaching. We preached a little bit. And he looked at me as though I said something that was extremely stupid. Huh. And he goes, you goes, that's it? I'm like, yeah. He goes, you didn't dig any wells or help anybody? I'm like, it's like, it's like we preach. That's what we were there to do. Right. Oh, well, that's a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's just, it's amazing how so many what's called mission trips now from so many churches are nothing but glorified vacations where you go and you, you know, you nail a few shingles up on a, somebody's roof or pull a few teeth. And again, not that there's anything in and of itself wrong with doing that, but they, but they do that not in conjunction with, but instead of preaching the gospel. And, and that is, that is a, that's a tragedy. I mean, that is, um, you know, the Apostle Paul didn't go around uh, fixing people's roofs or digging wells. He he preached the gospel. And, That's right. Uh, so it's, yeah. Well, Mike, we are out of time, brother, but I want us to continue this in our next program. Thank you very much for joining me. Dear ones, thank you for joining me. Until our next time together, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of His Holy Spirit be with you all. Thank you for listening to Didache. We hope that you were encouraged and edified by what you just heard. If you have a question or comment for Justin, or interested in more teaching resources, or would like to have him come and preach at your church or conference, you may contact him at justinpeters.org.